Good morning. As I said in the first service, it's nice to, to be here. Nice that they let me out of the bell house across the street with the students. Let me be with the older people. The older. I didn't say old. And if, if I did, you probably didn't hear me anyway. So, <laughs> jokes, jokes, right? Jokes, haha. Uh -huh. So, so JP told me when we prayed this morning that uh, he said, you know, this is going to be one of the better attended services in, in, a, in a while because everybody got an extra sleep, an extra hour of sleep last night. I apparently didn't. An extra hour of sleep last night. So then that, you know, you're here, you're present, and that probably eliminates the excuse for, for nodding off, right? If you don't agree with that, you're that person that says, I'm going to nod off regardless, it's Sunday, but it's, it's great because even the Patriots canceled their game for today's service. They canceled it, so you don't have to worry about preparing chips and dip for later on. You just be fully present here. Or maybe everybody showed up to church because the elections are coming, and it's like, we need Jesus. <laughs> Got to go to church. Is there a third service I can come to? So let's pray. I think we need to pray right now. Father, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for this beautiful church. Uh, and I mean the people. Lord, um, and I just pray that, uh, that we can hear your word and put it into practice, God. Thank you for the honor to hear, read, preach, speak your word. And as usual, we know that your word never returns void. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. So a lot of us have, um, have read this story before, the rich young ruler. Plenty of times we've heard sermons about it. We've heard it referenced. We've done devotionals on it. We've maybe acted in children's ministry or for children's ministry. We've seen this, this acted out for you. And I've read this plenty of times as well. But in preparing for this, for this sermon, for today's sermon, and, and really like diving in, I always like to read it. As, as a reader the first time through, as, as somebody that doesn't really know the story, so like what, what, what things jump out at me and if, if I just never read or heard the story before. And I, I, gotta, I gotta say, upon first reading this, I'm like, wow, is Jesus in a bad mood in this story? Is he in a bad mood? I mean, he also, like, there's a lot of issues that I, I, I have with this as a reader that doesn't, you know, just, is just reading it for the first time. And I said, first of all, he's, he's answering a question with a question, right? And uh, in school, we're always told, and adults have always told us, never answer a question with a question, right? You guys, you, we're doing good so far. Right? Never answer. But Jesus was the master at doing this. He always answered a question with a question. But was he, in a, was he on top of that? Is he in a bad mood? Now, eight chapters before uh, the story that we read today, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, I see that another, another man, another, a, te a teacher of the law, approaches Jesus and asks him the same question that our rich young ruler is asking today, well, in, in today's story. Again, in that story, Jesus answers the question with a question. Here we go again. Again, in that story, Jesus points to the laws. He points to the scriptures. In that story, the young man says, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus basically proudly says, that's right. It's my version, right? That's right, man. You got it. And so then the young man says, the man says, and who is my neighbor? Oh, 
I'm glad you asked that. Let me unpack this for you, buddy. And he begins to unpack this whole thing, the idea of who is my neighbor. But here in this story with the rich young ruler, it seems like Jesus brought some sass to the party, right? A little bit of like, what is going on? Why the really nice response to the other guy? Same question. In fact, this time, this time around, this rich young ruler said, good teacher. The other guy said, teacher. And that guy was a teacher of the law. This guy is just an average guy, rich young ruler, and said, good teacher. So he's probably trying to get extra credit. What is, what is the problem here, Jesus? Why, why the sass? Now, as we back up, stay in the book of Luke, we see that one chapter later from the story that, we, that Joy read today, a rich young ruler, one chapter later, Jesus, this is the famous scene where he enters the, the temple courts and, uh, and he sees people selling and cheating people out of money, and then that's when he flips the tables. Another version shows him whipping people, right? So after that, things escalate really, really quickly to Jesus' uh, de uh, death by crucifixion. So things escalate really quickly after this. So when I put that back and I see all this and I put it into context, I said, I say, what is, What's the deal in this story then? Is Jesus getting tired? Does he know that his, you know, his days here on earth as Jesus Christ, the man, is, is coming to an end? And is he like, I don't have time for this stuff. Like, what is going on? Why? Was he getting tired? Was he kind of done? Was he spent? Was he just cranky? Is it, is it because this young man is rich? Does Jesus not like rich people? Does he look, does he hate rich people? Does he look down upon them? Well, let me pause there, and let's, let me uh, uh, take a look at our, our author, Luke. What do we know about Luke? He was a Gentile. That means that he didn't grow up in the, with the Jewish tradition. He didn't grow up his whole life doing all the Jewish practices, kind of preparing in every way imaginable the coming of the Messiah. So he didn't, he didn't grow up with all this stuff. He was a physician. He was a doctor, which means that he was very educated, and his vocabulary was tight. It was on point. It was like on fleek eyebrows. It was, if you look at Luke, you say hashtag goals. And if I lost you on any of that, you could turn to any middle schooler or high schooler. There's a row right here. They can, they can bring you up to speed on that. But his, his language was, if you look at it, in comparison to the other gospel writers, his language was, his, the, the way he used his words was much more poignant, much more intentional. That's one of the things that I enjoy about Luke. He wrote this book in chapter one as, and these are his words, as an orderly account of the things that have been fulfilled. So it's apparent that Luke viewed education, and he held it with high esteem, okay? He provided methodic, intentional writing in his book. Luke did research, he did his homework, his probing, Okay, he went and he spoke to eyewitnesses. He wasn't just okay with somebody saying, hey, I need you to you know, write a gospel account of Jesus. All right, this is how I feel and this is what I think. This is what I heard through the grapevine. No, Luke said, I'm not okay with just the status quo. I need to do some research. I need to dig in. Luke is the stereotypical New Englander. And if, and if, you, if you are offended by that, then you are a New Englander. You are definitely... You're definitely a New Englander. And if you feel bad for Luke, for me, you know, 
saying he's a New Englander, then you're, you're not a New Englander. Get out. <laughs> Just kidding. So that's important to know about Luke as, we'll, as, as I'll uh, come back to this later. So let's go back to the question. The question to the question. Why do you call me good? So the rich young ruler says, so what, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, says Jesus? No one is good except God alone. Hold up. Cancel Thanksgiving. Put a hold on Christmas, honey. Did Jesus just say that he is not good? Did he just say that? Well, I'll address this real quick so that we don't get hung up on that. The answer is no. Jesus is pointing to God the Father. This rich young ruler is approaching Jesus, not as the Messiah. He doesn't know him as the Messiah, just as a man. Jesus has yet to reveal that he is the Messiah. So as a man to man, Jesus basically is redirecting him, pointing him to the Father. So Jesus again, just like our previous story, he points to the commands, to the laws. He mentions five out of the ten commandments, as Joy read. And the young man says, well, okay, I've kept all these since I was a boy. In other words, Jesus, I, I have done everything that I was told to do by our God, our Father, everything that the law requires since I was a little one. Am I getting my inheritance? Am I on, am I on the right track, Jesus? That's all I need to know. Now, does this sound familiar to anyone? It probably should, because three, staying in Luke three chapters ago, we read about the story of the prodigal son. And just to recap, it's the story of two sons, two brothers. One of them approaches the, his father and basically says, hey, I want my inheritance. Um, I, want, I just want my inheritance, and I just want to go. Now, in those days, that was just like saying, you're as good as dead to me. I just want what, what you have for me. I just want my inheritance. Can I, can I just go? He goes. His father gives him his inheritance. He goes to the countryside. He spends all his money wildly, and he comes to the end of himself. He loses everything to the point that he sees some pigs eating the scraps, and he's like, man, if I could only have the scraps. And the Bible says, I love, I love what the Bible says. It says, when he came to his senses, that when he came to his senses, he had to come to the end of himself. He had to, to for him to come to his senses and think and, and decide to go back to his father and ask for forgiveness. He realized in this story that a relationship with the father was the inheritance. That's the inheritance, not the, hand, not the handouts. The inheritance was relationship with his father. Now, our rich young ruler is kind of on the same path here. He's kind of on the same path. He's asking the wrong question. He's looking for the wrong answer. He's thinking that he's on the right track, but check this out. Jesus then says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This breaks the rich young ruler's heart. Everything? You want me to give, sell everything? Jesus, not a percentage, not a certain amount, not just some of it, but everything? Do you realize what you're asking me to do, Jesus? You realize what you're asking me to give up. Do you have any idea? Now, 
this same exact story, the rich young ruler, we find in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew and Mark. Both those versions include the rich young ruler kind of reacting the same way, except in those two versions, the rich young ruler walks away, sad, dejected. He walks away from Jesus. Our smart Luke doesn't include that in his version of the story. And it's not because he messed up or, remember, he's a New Englander. We don't mess up, right? Our smart New Englander Luke realizes that this story is not about the rich young ruler in, in the story. It's not about that young man. It's not about his response or how he, you know, how he, the decision that he makes. The, the response that is important here is your response and mine. So the, the, the author leaves it up to us. It's kind of a cliffhanger because it's, it's, it's about us. We are the ones in the story that need to respond to Jesus and how, and how we respond is important. So after seeing the rich young ruler kind of sad and dejected, Jesus looked at him and he says in verse 4, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Salt on the wound, Jesus. This is something that's obviously impossible. It's obvious. I've tried it. And I'm just telling you so you don't have to spend the money on, on the shipping and handling for a camel. All right? Just trust me on that. It is impossible. Jesus, you are in a bad mood. And so everybody around him listening says, who then can be saved? Again, Jesus with his, I'm glad you asked, response says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. In other words, that it seems impossible, but it's possible with God. So this is for anyone and everyone who is with God. This is for anyone and everyone who keeps God's commands. For everyone and anyone. But the, remember, the rich young ruler, he, he said he kept them all since he was a boy. I've kept them all, Lord, but he didn't. Spoiler alert. Remember, Jesus said he lacked one thing, and that one thing was the first commandment. And if you know any of the, the, of the commandments, it is, you shall have no other gods before me. So, oh, for one, right off the bat, rich young ruler. I mean, I did mention five out of the ten. I didn't mention the one you brought. I was trying to get you to understand, but you, you, you wanted to go there, pretty much. He put wealth. He put possessions. He put riches over God. In other words, wealth and possessions and riches, they were his gods. Those were the gods of this rich young ruler. It's why he was so sad about and depressed about giving it all up. Do you have any idea what you're asking me to do, Jesus? Do you have a clue? Now, is this story all about money? I'm going to answer this question, but I'm going to do it just like Jesus does, with a series of questions. Just trying to be Christ-like, folks. What, my answer to this question is, well, what is, what is it about to you? What is it about to you? Now, is money about money? Or is money about power, status, comfort, sustainability, safety, security? And what have you intentionally or unintentionally placed before God? 
Now, Jesus does, he does talk a lot about money. The book of Luke also talks a lot about money. And it's because he knows the dangers of money. Those who don't have it, they work hard to get it. Right? They strive to get it. Those who, who have it, wanna, they want to sustain it. They want to keep it. They don't want to lose it. Those who sustain it and are able to keep it, they want to grow it. And on and on it goes. Money is dangerous because it can falsely provide us with what we should only seek in God. I'll say it again. Money is dangerous because it can falsely provide us with what we should only seek in God. And Jesus knows that. And that's why he addresses it like so. So, but that can happen with anything. Right? What have you placed before God? And, and, and furthermore, what is in danger of replacing God? What is in danger of that? That's something for all of us to think about. Figure it out and then ask yourself, if you are willing to give that up for Jesus. That's hard. It's really difficult. Now, Jesus didn't hate rich people. He didn't hate them. He didn't look down upon them. I can, I can sigh of, I can have a sigh of relief there, personally. Thank you for not laughing. Jesus sees everyone's heart. He sees the dangers that lie ahead. He warns rich people. He warns us all. And not like an agitated dad warning his kid about behavior or you go to timeout, but as a loving father who, who's trying to help us avoid the pitfalls of idolatry. Anything that replaces God is idolatry. That, anything that has become your God, whether you use that language or not, is idolatry. That could be a lot of things. He's warning us of breaking the very first commandment, and that very first commandment isn't there so he can rule over us and control us and have us be his puppets. And no, it's because he wants relationship with us. Because he wants to be in our lives. The story is kind of like this. Jesus, tell me, tell me what I get for following you. That's basically what this rich young ruler is saying. What do I get? Where's my inheritance? I've been doing this for a while. Well, I'm, I'm right here, son. I'm right here, daughter. Right. Gotcha. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. But uh, just tell me if I'm headed, at least tell me if I'm headed in the right direction. Jesus, fine. I'll make it easier for you. Jesus, blink once for yes, twice for no. Please, I just need to know. Give me a sign, Jesus. Jesus basically is saying, are you willing to give up that desire? Are you willing to give that up to follow me, for me? Are you willing to give up your, your wealth, your health, your IQ, your status, your power, the position in your company, your career, your job? Are you willing to give up your family to follow me? That's hard for me personally. I'm just gonna talk personally. That is a very hard question for me to answer. I want to answer yes to that question. We all, I believe, that's why we're here. We want to answer yes to that question. But I've got to be highly. I don't know if I'm living that. I don't know. I have a lot of letting go to do in my life. In fact, it almost, when I look at it, it almost seems unfair of Jesus to ask this. But it's not unfair. Do you have any idea why you're asking me to give up, Jesus? Do you have any clue? 
It's hard. Peter tried it. You know, before Jesus was betrayed, he, he said, all of you, all of you are going to betray me. You're all going to deny me. Of course, Peter stands up. I believe he stands up. Right? I think Peter's dramatic. He says, I will never fail you, Jesus. <laughs> I will never fail you. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, dude, Javi's version, right? You are going to deny me three times by a, because of a middle school girl that you're going to bump into. Three times tonight. Even if I die, I will never do that, Jesus. Okay. All right, Peter. And we all know he does exactly what Jesus said he wouldn't do. He would do. He does exactly what Peter said he wouldn't do. It's not easy. My wife recently, after preparing for the sermon, said, what, what, what did you, what is your thing, right? What is your thing? And I said, my family. It's the first day I, I, I it was easy. It was an easy answer. Of sometimes putting my family before God. And so when I put that into the story, it's, it's hard. It really is. Now, there are two rich young rulers in this story, in case you haven't noticed. There's the rich young ruler we've been talking about, and then there's Jesus. Jesus is a rich young ruler. Think about it. He is the son of God. It is his kingdom that we talk about. Everything belongs to him. We may tithe, we may give offerings, but it all belongs to him. We can put it in a bow and, and, and wrap it up and hand it to Jesus and say, that I gave unto thee, Lord. This is for you. But it's all his, folks. It is all his. And he left all of that. He left it all for you and for me to die on the cross, a brutal death for, pe for some people that will never even acknowledge him, for people that will never even accept his love, accept that he is the Messiah. And the crazy thing is that he would do it again and again and again for all of us. What is impossible for men is possible with God. But Jesus, do you have any idea what you're asking me to do? Yeah, and then some. And he'd do it again and again. You want to talk about generosity? There's no better example than that. That's generosity. But not only should we be gener generous with, with everything we have and be shining light, but we've got to be generous with God too and say, God, everything I give up for you. Are, are we there yet? Am I there yet? I want to answer yes to that question. Now, let's go back to our, our friend Luke, the author of this book. Again, our, he was an accomplished man. Accomplished man. Very smart. Think about it. He had to put aside some things in order to accept all of this. And I'm not saying he had to dumb himself down, but he had to come to the realization that his studies, the science behind it, everything that he learned, okay, uh, is very limited compared to what Jesus knows 
about this world that he created. So there was some pride swallowing that he had to do. Think about it. For a doctor, Luke doc was a doctor, a physician, to accept a virgin birth, he had to do some serious soul searching, some digging, some serious research. Our New Englander had to kind of put aside, not, not do away with, but put aside his credentials, you know, his pride, his intellect. He had to say, well, I can't lead with that. I've got to lead with my faith. I've got to lead with the word of God. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, let's take New England, for example. What we, we got the best football team, not, a, not an opinion. <laughs> we have, I was intimidating, goodness. We have, we have the best clam chowder. I can't, I just can't do it. We have, I got picked on for service. We got the best schools. We got, we've got the best hospitals, the best doctors, okay? But as one of the least churched regions in all of the United States, we, New England, have nothing if we don't have God first, if we don't have God in the midst, if we don't have God above all, if we don't have God before anything. We have got some letting go to do. We really do. So as individuals and as, as a region, if you can look it up, we are the least churched. What are we relying on as individuals, as a community? We have nothing if we put anything before God. My prayer for you today is that, that you, we come to the end of ourselves, that we come to our senses, and, and that we come to a relationship with Jesus that places him on a pedestal that no one and nothing can replace, and that we are generous with the creator of this universe, that we are generous with our Father. God bless you. Thank you.